0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hello, my name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you would, um, pray with me. And then we'll we'll get going. God, thanks for the privilege of gathering together as your people to to sing to you and about you, to to pray, to lean into you, to comfort one another, to build one another up. And and today you share with us through your word hard words that are painful and even difficult. And at the same time, you do that for your disciples. It, uh, in the room that you were in when you spoke those words, and for your disciples in this room today, that we might remember that you said these things when things are hard, when things are difficult. So would you build us up wherever we find ourselves on the spectrum of, of the world hating us and us loving you and trying to figure out what that looks like to live in this, this world, the, the broken parts of this world being set apart by you. God, would you build us up today? Would you, would you let us be encouraged and emboldened in our faith? In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off by reading uh, something from a book. It's called Twelve Faithful Men, Portraits of Courageous Endurance in Pastoral Ministry. And it's basically just 12 chapters of like really bad scenarios that faithful pastors have endured. And, and this one is uh, a guy by the name of... John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan, um, he's John Bunyan, 17th century English writer, Puritan preacher, best remembered for writing The Pilgrim's Progress, which is largely esteemed as one of the most significant works of theological fiction. I must be honest, I've tried to read it, even in the last year, a couple times, and I just get stuck, and I'm like, I can't continue to read this book, right, Angie? I talked to Angie about that, I, and she said, you know what, there are so many great books out there, you don't have to read it, and I said, oh, Okay. Thanks, Sam. So, that aside, listen to just a snippet of the life that he lived. The power of God's spirit on Bunyan's preaching drew many people to hear him. He was becoming quite influential due to related governmental and church upheavals. Church and state authorities told Bunyan he was not properly authorized to preach. He was ordered to stop or be jailed. Bunyan did not stop preaching the gospel. He knew God had called and commanded him to do so. He was arrested. Authorities attempted to get Bunyan to sign an agreement that he would no longer preach the gospel without the state church's authorization. If he did so, he would go free. Bunyan replied to the offer, If I were out of prison today... I would preach the gospel again tomorrow by the help of God. Bunyan was found guilty, and he spent nearly 13 years in jail. His suffering at times felt unbearable. He was deeply anguished over his young wife and the four children, especially his daughter Mary, who was blind. I found myself a man and compassed with infirmities, the parting with my wife and poor children hath oft been to me in this place as the pulling of my flesh from my bones. Bunyan's wife pled eloquently to the magistrate for her husband's release, but even she was denied. Bunyan's life certainly seems like an odd process out of which to make an influential gospel preacher but God does seem to use jails to prepare his finest servants man he's not the only one like we could read for a thousand years um, the difficulty that's been brought on men and women because of their faithfulness and devotion to God and into Christ. Um, I want you to consider these promises kind of uh, against that. Uh, these are promises from the scriptures and, and kind of generalities. You will be sons and daughters of God. Like that's a pretty good deal, right? <laughs> if, if you believe that, that God is God and you get to be sons and daughters, like wow, that's, that's really great. You will be exalted on the last day. That's what Jesus tells us. We'll be lifted up with him because of what he has secured for us. And we say, man, that's fantastic. You will be forgiven your sins and you will gain eternal life, not because you're great, but because Christ is great. If you trust him, that's what you gain, eternal life, forgiveness of sins from, from the God of all creation. Man, that's fantastic. We, we are given promises that you will not be forgotten. You will not be forsaken. You will be the apple of the Lord's eye. What a gift Those promises are. And yet today we have in this word, as as one uh, Justin Taylor writes, the least popular promise of Jesus. They persecuted me and they'll persecute you. In a world that hates Jesus, expect opposition if you love him. That's what Jesus is—he's—he's he's setting his disciples up to behold this truth in a world that—that that hates me. You should expect to be opposed by this world if you love me. So John, as we've been kind of journeying through John, we're—we're we're like. Uh, Approaching the runway of this gospel of John, in chapter 16, he's led us on an expedition that we might believe and that we might behold Jesus. That that we might believe and that we might have life in his name. And Jesus has been teaching his his final words, his farewell discourse for for a couple chapters now. And he'll continue to do that. He's been hitting really hard on love, love from him, love to us, love that we get to show one another, uh, love for others. And now he kind of turns the page to some hard realities about being a friend of Jesus. And the theme shifts like a, a hard swerve from love to hate. And the first thing that we see in this text is is this really simply, the world hates Jesus. Let me read some of this. Uh, I'll hop around. Starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Why? Well, later on in verse 22, he tells us, he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, They would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Remember, he and the father are one, and he's been kind of compelling them to understand this. He says, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. This is an Old Testament reference from Psalm 69, I believe. And it says, they hated me without a cause. Those who hate me without cause are more numerous than the, than the hairs on my head, is what that psalm says. So what Jesus is saying is he's, he's done nothing that would require their hatred, yet he pays the price for our crime. He's hated so when the Bible talks about the world, it describes it in lots of ways. Like one, it's just the created world, all that's in it, the, the universe and created things and all the things like uh, all over the world, right? But then uh, that's not what John's talking about. And in other ways, it talks about creation in its, in its fallen or its sinful or its broken form. And he was saying like the broken parts of this world. And so here, just a, a couple of quotes that, that I'll share with you. The affairs of the world which seduce us from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. So when he's talking about the world, he's talking about those that, that get in the way for those that are part of the kingdom of Jesus and those that oppose that. Another says it this way. In this passage, it characterizes a system and people of rebellion, hatred, and persecution against God's people. So, so those who are not in Christ, those who are not, as John has been saying, abiding in Christ, those who are not near to Jesus, uh, will will hate him. And you might be looking here and saying, wow, okay, like I'm holding a neutral line. It seems like you're saying that there are two options, and I think we'll get to that, and I must say that this is complicated, and we got to process this. I can't say all the things today, but but why will they hate Jesus? Well, well, fallen nature, us in our sinful form, it means that we reject the person and the promises of God. Paul tells us in Romans 1, he says it this way, he says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, who's they? Well, it starts in the beginning of this book, Adam and Eve, all the way to every one of us in this room. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's our human problem. I listen to a lot of podcasts. One of them I listen to is called Cheat. And it's, I think his name is like Lonzo Slate or something like that. It's really funny. It's a monologue. It's not bantering He just tells the story of cheats, of people who, like, try to win fishing tournaments by putting uh, lead weights in the fish so that when they weigh them, right, spoiler, that's what happens in that one, all right, if you jump into it, Um, but all kinds of stuff, and, like, it seems like every sixth or seventh one is about, like, fine art, and what I've come to understand is that, like, it's really easy to dupe people when it comes to art and fine art, am I right, Mrs. Peterson? That's true, yes, right, so... So, like, uh, the authority on this is really difficult, and so I won't share one particular one, but just time and time again, there are, again, there are imposters that say this was made with the authority of this person, and people spend bajillions of dollars, and they get the thing only to find out that it was done by, like, a kindergartner with a crayon. Not really true, but, like, right? It wasn't the real deal, and so it's this issue of authority, and that that's what Paul is is telling us that we're doing. All of us, as we, ex- we exchange the truth of God for a lie, we, we think that we have the real thing, and-, and we find out that it's actually just a created thing. And he's saying, that's not the one that has the authority. That's, that's not the real deal. I'm the real deal. And you're worshiping created things, imposters. We are all imposters. We're all cheats when we worship created things rather than, than the real thing, than God himself. So so the world worships and it serves its own ends. That's what it does. Those in Christ, they worship and they serve his ends through his means. That's what makes us different. That's what sets us apart. Now look, that doesn't mean that every person who isn't a follower of Jesus, every person who isn't a Christian, it doesn't mean that they're like uh, a a, a villain out to take over the world. (laughs) There is some element of common grace and, and I think what the the Bible would teach is we are every one of us are, are uh, broken and corrupt in the way that we think in our emotions and in, in the physical bodies the physical world around us but but we're we're, we're uh, not as bad as we could be, right we're not completely broken in every way, but sin has has marred as they say every part of all of creation. So, so if you're a non Christian, I'm not saying that you're here to, to be a villain to take over the world. It means that in our unredeemed form, in the fallen world that we live in, that we will oppose Christ and we, we might take a, a line of neutrality. And even in this room today, you might be like, well, I, like I don't love them. Like I don't know Jesus, but I don't hate them. And right now, maybe you don't have to determine one of those things, but in time, you will. Dick Lucas says this. He says, this is a a really wide, right? Wherever a civilization has been overrun by tyranny, that is, wherever a man in the raw, whenever a man has unbridled power without democratic restraints, whenever he has been left to himself to do what he wants with a country, there has always and invariably been bitter opposition to the church Of Jesus Christ. That's on a global level. But then like. To bring it into this room. This week on Facebook. I saw someone in a comment thread. And and it said. They they basically said this. They said Jesus at face value seems great. Like what a great guy. But beyond face value. He doesn't seem to represent. The way I see the world. Gosh. Gosh i I get that. We talk about this all the time, like Jesus, in His word, should confront the way that we think about ourselves in this world. And what we have to decide in those moments are, are who's right. Am I forcing Him to submit to me? Do I stand over the Word? Do I sit under the word? so So that's exactly the point that people can can hang with Jesus who kind of affirms their every cultural or or ideological position or whatever. But but when we do that, we're, we're not worshiping Jesus. We're not loving Jesus, but we're making God in our own image. And that seems to be a bit of the human problem. Have you ever been around someone who's like just, I don't know if this is, just better than you? <laughs> like at, at some particular thing, maybe the opposite of you, but... But, but maybe the opposite of you, like in a better way, like someone, like if you're really unorganized, right? And you're around someone who's, who's just very organized, you, you know, you're probably aware of that pretty quickly, right? You just hear them talk in the way that they like, oh, to, they'll talk about tomorrow morning, and you're like, oh, I'll think about that tomorrow morning. Right? <laughs> and they're like, well, I have my clothes laid out, and you're like, oh gosh, I, I don't even, I don't even consider that, <sniffs> smells fun, you know, like whatever. It's no offense, gosh, I get it, right? But but just by being in the room with them, or maybe it's like someone who's like really fit and they're always in the gym, like no shade, right? You're a CrossFitter, that's fine. But we they have there's a type with a CrossFitter, right? And like I don't regularly do like forty inch like box jumps, but like you do, and that's fine, right? But being in the room with someone like that, you're like, oh gosh, I like excuse my like I just really suck at this life whatever or maybe you're uh, with someone who's who's just really merciful and they say they respond to things in a way that you're like wanting to make a joke but then they're like oh gosh I'm just and you're like what wow this is like a really this person is great at being a human and it turns out <laughs> I'm not very good right someone who's always on time someone whatever like whatever it is They don't have to say anything for you to feel condemned. That's the truth. What Jesus is saying in this passage, he's saying, just because of who I am, this world is condemned already, and they don't like it. That's that's exactly what he said. By his nature, he is light, and he comes into the room, and everyone who walks in darkness, they're aware of one thing. He's different than I am, and I, and I don't think that I like it. That's what he's, he's saying. The world hated me without cause. Just because I am who I am, and you are who you are, you, you hated me, right? He, they, they hated me without just cause, or they hated me just cause, right? <laughs> However you want to say it. That, that's what he's saying. So, so what we get to do in response is like, uh, like one, we get to say, will, will the real Jesus Please stand up. And we we don't get to just respond to like, well, I I think God is, I don't know, I sort of see him as some like where do you see that at? Because so make sure that the Jesus that you're responding to is the real one. And this is how we find that out. It look, I love History Channel, and th- that's not where you find out who, who Jesus is. I, I love TikTok. That that's not how you find out who open this thing and turn the pages and say, Jesus, will you show me who you are? Right? Then you can determine, do I hate him or do I love him? We get to get to know him. Is it, uh, do I love Jesus? This is for us, do I love Jesus? Is that where I find myself today? Do I hate Jesus? Am I fooling myself to think that, that there's a third option? Of neutrality. To to not choose is to already have chosen, and it doesn't mean that that's where you stand eternally. It means today you get to respond to those questions. So by way of reflection, do I love Jesus more than this world, or am I part of the world which hates Him? Right. That's what the Bible does. You look at it and you say, "Wait, I thought I was the good guy, but wait, am I? Where am I?" in this. The second thing we see is Jesus loves and he calls us out from this world. There are two waters here. I think I got the right one. Sorry if I'm drinking your water, someone else. No, the other one's unopened, unsealed. Yeah, we're good. Jesus loves and calls us out of the world. Let me read on. Uh, verse 19, uh, if, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. <laughs> Gosh. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. I think of like claw machine, like I, I plucked you out. You're, you're not like them, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. We won't get into it, but but he's talking about both the Jewish religious world here and the Roman Greek secular world. He, he's saying, those that you think know me... That, those that they think know me, they, they don't know me, and, and you will find out when they hate you because of me, right? It it feels like Jesus is telling us, telling them, like, really bad news. It, would, would you not say that the tone of the words today, like, this, is, this feels like bad news. They're going to hate me, but we know Jesus came to bring good news, so we have to put that in some context, like... For those of you who don't know this, every week we say we're a community formed by the gospel and you're like, I've never heard that word. What does that even mean? The word gospel, it, it means news. It means good news. And it was kind of military language that they would use when they would come back from battle and they would say, give us the gospel. Tell us the good, and what was the good news? That we won. That's, that was the good news, that we won. And so we have to look at that in light of we, we are a gospel formed church community. We're good news formed, but but this feels, like, this feels like bad news. I saw a video like in my feed this week, and, and it goes like this. This guy tells a story, and it was captivating. <clears throat> he tells the story of a farmer, and he said, there's a farmer, and he lives with one son and one horse. And he said, the horse runs away. And that evening, the whole town, all the townspeople come by, and they say, hey, gosh, that's terrible news, like, I'm so sorry. And the farmer says, well, like, I don't know if it's good news or bad news yet. And they're like, okay. Uh, the next day, that horse returns back, and it has two horses. And, and the townspeople that evening, they, they come by and they say, wow, what, what great news. And the farmer, cool as he is, he says, "I don't know if it's good news or not yet. I don't know if it's good news or bad news yet." And they're like, "Okay." The next day, his son went out in the morning and he he begins to train one of the new horses. He falls and he breaks his back. And later that evening, the townspeople they they come by and they say, "Gosh, what terrible news! I'm so sorry." And the farmer says, "Well." Like, I don't know yet if it's good news or if it's bad news. And they're like, okay. And the next day, a uh, general, uh, a constable from the, the military, he, he comes by and he tells them in their town that every able bodied young man must join the military. And he looks and he says, My son's back is broken. And he, All right, he's staying with you. And the townspeople come by that evening and they say, What great news! Your son didn't have to go and, and he says, well, I don't know if it's good news yet or not. And we could go on and on and on, right? I have no idea what that story is actually about. But I have a, <laughs> I have a couple thoughts. Uh, there, there's a lot in it, but I'll make it about what I want, want it to be about. <laughs> the first thing is this, like, just real simple. This isn't the point, but like, don't overreact. Like, that's a real thing. Like, in a 24-hour news cycle all the time, something happens. Say words. Like, that's what you think. Something happens. Like, oh, say, just say words. Don't. D- you don't have to. <laughs> you can, like, this is wise. Like, I don't know if it's good news or bad news yet. We'll see. Right? I could apply a thousand scenarios right now to stuff that you know stuff going on about. And in a week, you will know different stuff going on about, Right? Train derailments, local revivals in colleges, whatever it is, it's fine. So, like, train de- derailments are bad, revivals are good, <laughs> right? I don't know. Um, the other thing that I, I glean from this is like, it seems like a nice town. I love that the townspeople are like so invested in his life. <laughs> but the idea here for us is, is this, right? Some truths of Jesus, they show up today like bad news. Like, this sounds like bad news to me. Like, gosh, it's like the world's going to hate me. But but if we hold on, unlike the farmer, we can we can know that good news, it wins the day for those who are near to Jesus. Like, if you lived on this farm and the highs and lows, that's just our life. It's just the highs and lows. How was your day? Uh, uh. You stretch it out. And we know that good news wins the day. Even more, we know that it's this hatred from the world against the church, against me, against you, that, that reveals genuine faith. And it refines genuine faith. And I could probably talk about that for an hour, but I'll just say it that way. It is this hatred, that it is the, the, the persecution, it is the, the, the crucible of the world's hatred that heats us up. And it, either, and it either makes us bail, and we determine what type we were, that we were actually part of the world. Or, or, it, or it refines genuine faith in an even more bold, faithful Wait, so, so this call, what he says to us, he says that, that we're in the world but not of the world, that's like a tough thing, that he, he, he chooses us, he plucks us out of it, and yet like we're, we're still here, we're still in this world, it's still broken. That is one of the more misunderstood declarations of Jesus. And the church, and individuals within the church, and individuals within even local churches, even today... We can differ on what this looks like in some sort of hard left and some sort of hard right about how we are to engage with the world around us. But, but there are two ditches. One is that we are indistinguishable from the world. You can't tell us apart. You just look like the word. No one would know. It's living in the name of Jesus yet not being any different from the world. Do you know what that is? That's actually one of the commandments that you, that you take or that you wear his name in vain. That's what it means. That, that all this, all he's saying is, because you are attached to my name, because you believe in me, and that, that I am who I said I am, because you wear my name, you get to look differently, and, and one of our issues is that we don't. That, that, that he says you live noticeably different because you know me, but look, sometimes we just look like the world around us and no one can tell us apart. I'm sure that you feel that no matter what age you are. Like if you're in third grade and you're trying to follow Jesus, gosh, I, I love that. If you're, in, if you're in middle school and you're trying to follow Jesus, that is tough for real. If you're in college and you just want to fight your professor after every... Like, I live that, man. Come and talk to me. For real. If you open up anything where people talk ever about anything, then you're like, wait, wow, I feel disoriented. This feels uncomfortable and difficult. Like, it's so hard to be faithful. And then, and then people that you thought were faithful just fall and, and give up. And you're like, what is happening? This is so tough. We have guys like, like Bunyan and a thousand others who endured. I get it. It's, it's really tough. But, but yet... Wearing his name and not being conformed to his nature, that's not something we get to do. When it comes to the way that we live and the way that we speak and the way that we forgive and the way that we love and the way that we listen and the way that we suffer and the way that we succeed, the way that we consider our possessions and all that we have, the way that we battle against worry and anxiety, the way that we spend our time, our money, what we treasure most, what we think about, how we think about media, the media that we consume, what we consume how we respond to those things, the way that we interact with friendships and sex and marriage and singleness and satisfaction and disappointment and death and life and control and power and all of the things. They get to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And none of this is saying, be really weird just to be really weird. Don't do that. If you're at a game night, hanging out with your friends, Maybe someone wouldn't be able to, to, to recognize you as like the weirdsmobile Christian who's just saying weird stuff for no reason. You don't have to do that. You should have fun, lots of fun. But if someone observes your life for hours, days, weeks, months, gosh, it should look different. The second ditch is is that we're no longer in mission in the world. We just pull ourselves out of it. And I could give countless examples of of the way monasteries were formed by monks going away and, and literally hermiting in caves because the world was just bad. And you know what? Like, you know, like in the middle of the day when you're just like, gosh, life and I just want to be away. I just want to be like wherever that is for you. I, I think, that's a, I think that's a, that can be like a godly yearning to be away from this broken world. And yet, that's not the mission that we're on. We don't get to just go and hide. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't like step down and like whoa these people are no he came and he dwelt among us and he said let let me go down as a baby and experience what they experience and live life the way that they live life and experience suffering the way they experience suffering and battle temptation the way they battle temptation and and yet he didn't fail that's, 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 that's what we're on. Uh, in in like, the village church language, Like we get to be among our neighbors. And some of the best missionaries I know are you who are just super, it, it doesn't have to be, this, but, but just social and connected, and you're actually a joy to be around. Like I know, for some of you, that's a surprise. You can love Jesus and be a joy to be around. Next week, we'll baptize, and we will, we will baptize into the community of God, and we will baptize into the mission of God. It's not the end when we baptize. That's, that's just a celebration of the journey that we're on, of the, of the mission that we're on. Let's go, right? And he says it this way. He says in, in, in chapter 15, verse 26, when the helper comes, the Holy Spirit, talked about him before, talk about him next week, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Spirit is at work telling people about Jesus and you also will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. I've chosen you out of this world and yet I've chosen you for my mission. My mission is to go tell people about me, that they're dead in their sins, that they're sunk without me, that all of the things in this life that they think will satisfy them can't hold a candle to the satisfaction they can have in me. Go tell them that. Go love one another as if you believe that. Go lead a joyful life, even in suffering as if that were true. That's that's what he tells us. So the aim then for us is for those who are in Christ, we get to put the future world on display even while we live and work and play in this one. And we we, we have the power to do this. We all once walked in darkness. Every single one of us stumbling and bumbling against the Lord. Jesus was hated to the point of death to show us how much he loves all who believe. While we were sinners, Christ came to this world to save this world. And that world was was us. This isn't us and them. It's not like you shouldn't have heard any of this and be like, yeah, well, they're really bad. I watched the news. You wouldn't believe what they did. Don't do that. Watch the news and say, you wouldn't believe what I'm capable of apart from the mercy of God. When you do that, you begin to love well. Thirdly, if you love Jesus, this world will hate you. I thought we'd save the the biggest encouragement for the end. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. (laughs) In my life, I've been accused of of trying to convince people not to follow Jesus. (laughs) Because I'm like, no, like you don't know. Like it no, that's not it. No, like following Jesus is hard. Like you shouldn't do it. But if you really want to do it, that's cool. He says all this stuff. And then he says, I'm telling you these things to keep you from from running away from me. And you'd imagine like, some of them like, huh? Because I want to run away from you. Because what it seems like you're saying is if if I cut ties with you, then I will be loved by this world. And he says, well, literally, that's exactly the words that I said. so then it becomes really personal because that's what you get to decide you can have like a great run man 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 90, 100 years maybe if you position yourself right this world loves you the whole time Is, is that what you're living for because in the, in the scheme of eternity, 100 years, it won't even cast a shadow. And I don't think that 100 years is going to be that great for you anyway. He says they will put you out of the synagogues. That means that the religious people of the day will kick you out of the church. That's why, that's why there have been countless men and women burned at the stake by the church because of their views on communion. Do you know that? And you're like, I don't have a view on communion. I would say, well, you should. Do you know that that men and women have lost their lives because they've translated scripture in, in their native language? Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Have you ever seen that before? And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. We've seen brutality, social outcasting carried out by the alleged church for millennia and and certainly outside of the church aimed at Christians historically and, and recently. And sometimes it feels like We know that to be true, and we can read things, and we can read books, and we can read history, and we can read the scriptures, and we can say it was a bad day for Jesus. He was right. It's a bad day for his disciples. Like, like he he was right. But it can seem like in Butler County in in 2023, that that it, it can feel like maybe that we are the exception to this promise. Like, this is the way that I sometimes find myself believing that if I engage perfectly and I like thread the needle on nuance (laughs) and I gain trust and I love beautifully even in the name of truth maybe I can win the day. We are not the exception and you shouldn't expect to be. You should not expect to be the exception of this promise of Jesus. That they persecuted me, they hated me, and and they're going to hate you. Look, the last thing that you'll hear from me is like fear mongering. (laughs) Um, I'm not a the sky is falling. You know what? I I love this farmer probably more than you because I'm like, I I don't know. See it through. We'll see what happens. Eh. Every Sunday morning, Scott says, Hey, how's the sermon? Today, and I say, I'm fine. And it, like, about right now, I start to determine, like, hmm, how was it? <laughs> Highs, lows, whatever, just like maintain here. I'm not a fear mongering guy. I'm not, I, I, like, if this sermon led you out those doors and, and it incited panic or doom and gloom, th- then there, there was a miss. The world hates Jesus if you love him. They'll hate you. We get to know that. But but don't act like the world will prevail over Christ. The world is not going to prevail over his mission. The world will not prevail over his purpose. The world will not prevail over his love for you or his own. The world will not prevail over his truth or his plan to make all things new. That's not going to happen. If at the beginning or the middle at the or, or the end of the day, if you're in Christ's hands, by grace, through his faith alone, then you can rest assured, you can rest confidently, you can rest filled with peace, consumed with joy, and empowered to love, enduring till the end, because Christ has overcome this world. Hey! Amen! Amen! To be clear, this this isn't the world hating you because you're a terrible human? I sat down with someone this week and they they're not following Jesus, but a friend and he said, "I've met some people who are very religious. They're just a-holes." And I was like, "Bro, sounds like we met the same people." <laughs> Jesus like hung out with those people a lot. Don't, you don't have to be that person. Like, this isn't you bringing things upon yourself because you make terrible decisions and then saying, oh, God, but this world, it's... No, you just made really bad decisions. This isn't just bad things happening to you. Like, we've all had those weeks and months where we're like, What is the deal? Just another hit. And so you're like, weeks or months. I wish. Like, I'm in my third decade of that. I'm sorry. Suffering is hard. It's specifically because we live in contrast to the world. It's because we declare our our allegiance to Jesus that we will have enemies. That's what he's saying. I'll close out-ish like this. I'll read another quote from, from this book about Paul, right? And, and he, he says this, and Paul was an apostle. He wrote most of the New Testament. He had some real bad days, right? In Paul's ministry, affliction was the instrument that God employed to redirect the apostle's focus. Though he suffered grievously, as the laundry list of trials in Corinthians 11 shows, Paul dismissed his terrible circumstances as light Momentary affliction. Multiple imprisonments for the cause of Christ. Light momentary affliction. Countless beatings. Light momentary affliction. Often near death in service of the gospel. Light momentary affliction. Shipwrecked three times. Light momentary affliction. Adrift at sea a day and a night like some castaway stuff floating out there. Because of his uh, commitment to, to establish churches and to proclaim the gospel, light momentary affliction, often without food and water and cold and exposure, light momentary affliction. He shows up to court defending the faith. No one shows up. He pours his life out for people all across the land No one shows up, light, momentary affliction, under a threat of death from Jews and Gentiles alike, enemies to the left and enemies to the right, light, momentary affliction. God did not waste Paul's affliction. It was the catalyst, that's the thing that uh, makes it go faster. It was the catalyst that took his eyes off this world and fixed them on another, Suffering stamped eternity on Paul's eyeballs, and enabled him to see what this world—that this world was a dress rehearsal for another. All that was just a dress rehearsal for real life that he would get to live in for eternity. And the band can come on up. We put all this stuff in context, and Jesus is leaving them. He's trying to set them up. He'll send the helper to comfort and to equip. He loves you. Love him. Love others. Remember these words when trials come, so that you might endure faithfully till the end. And so for those of you who are like, oh, give me some takeaways, this is just three real quick things. What do I remember that might help me endure. Remember this, that if you walk with Jesus, then you will walk with opposition. Don't act like, I can't believe this is such a shock. Secondly, believe this, that this world is the mission, it's not your enemy. And and if you're struggling to that, uh, to to like see that, then see if you can assess the, the amount of times you use like us, them language, and see who us is and who them is and begin to let the Spirit tease those things out. And you can see sins at work in a lot of different ways. But this world is, is the mission that we're dropped into. And, and thirdly, just as an encouragement, this world, is, it's not your home. It's not. This is not your forever home. It's like a little, little starter home, right, to set us up for eternity. What a gift. So we get to respond. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up and sing with this band. You can go over there. There's a prayer bench. You can sit by yourself, kneel down, whatever. Someone would love to pray with you back by that red tree about anything. If you're like struggling with any of this stuff or just in general, we want to bear with you, right? Your, your needs. And we get to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. If you're in Christ, right? You don't have to be a member of this church, but if you, if you trust Jesus to be your Savior. Then we get to respond by taking communion and we take the bread and the juice and we do that uh, as often as we do. We do that with, with a clear conscience. We get to submit our sin to him before we do that. And we get to remember and declare the beauty of the good news that he has invited us to his table. What a gift. God, thank you for your word. Would you just remove from the hearer's all the dumb stuff that doesn't help us grow in you. And would you just let them, let, let the, the words that you're using to shape them just bounce around between their ears. God, even, even all day today, would you build us up to be people who, who can endure because you're faithful. What a gift in Jesus' name. Amen.